Welcome to the Contracting Officer Podcast. Our mission is to make government contracting better one contract at a time. Whether you work for government or industry, we're here to help you understand what the other side is thinking. Today's episode isn't about a specific acquisition topic or part of the FAR. Instead, we tackle what you can personally do to help make government contracts better one contract at a time. This episode is brought to you by Skyway Acquisition Solutions. If you're looking for help in the government market, visit skywayacquisition.com to see how their team of experts can help you know more, do more, and win more in the government contracting market. Okay, let's get started. Hey, Kevin. Today, we're going to talk about an awesome power that everybody has. We are. It's called the power of do. It's easy to say that we should just move forward and get things done. But how do we do that in government contracts? In this episode, we're going to talk about some specific actions both government and industry can take to get something done and get it done faster. So what is the power of do? This is the focus on actually doing things, on progress, And the idea is learn by doing, is move forward, try stuff, what doesn't work, keep going. We call this error on the side of activity. And it's very hard in government contracts to do this sometimes because the expectation is you got to be perfect. And we'll talk about that in a few minutes coming up. And the last piece, recognize the impact that scale has on your actions. I'll explain that later. Yeah, these these are teasers. (laughs) You know, when we speak at conferences, we like to ask the question of the, the people in the audience, how many policies or regs, how many pages of, of policies and regulations are out there? How, how many pages does the government have? And, and we like to get the guesses. And, and the answer is we, and we don't know. I don't know if anybody's ever really counted them <laughs> all. But procurement policy, yeah, procurement policy is big. It's actually too big. There is policy to cover buying almost everything you can imagine. There, there's some kind of policy or regulation specific for that. And it's not just at the federal government level. Every agency has different needs and their own policies and regulations. Why are there so many policies and regulations? Well, leaving politics aside, which is where a lot of the rules come from, other rules are there because of bad actors. I always like to say no rule is made until somebody actually does something wrong, and then they make a rule so that nobody can ever do that again. And – the big it's funny i'm i'm kind of laughing while you're saying that because the reality is we have to deal with those and we can't create more time we're not going to get fewer regulations we we can't just throw up our hands and say oh well forget it it's not worth doing well we've committed to doing government contracts of you know whatever either you're committed to being a contractor or you're committed to supporting your customer as a contracting officer so you can't just quit right and we can't wait until we get more resources, more funding, more more contractors, more contracts people, you know, more pixie dust, what, whatever you're <laughs> waiting on. It's just not going to show up. And, and it, as a business owner, it's, you live like this. And as a contracting officer, most of the people you're living like this is that you're never going to have enough contracts people to get it all done. You're never going to have enough people to keep up with all of these regulations. So based on that, we, we have to consider that – Complaining doesn't help either. One of my favorite quotes is, complaining is like throwing up. You feel great, but everybody else feels awful. So it just doesn't help. (laughs) So now that we've gone through what you can't show, there's lots of stuff that we can just sit here and complain about. But you notice that on our podcast, that's not the purpose of this. We want to help you say, what can we do, right? So what can we do with the resources that we have? 
and to use a, a one of several Seth Godin quotes in, <laughs> in this uh, in this in this episode, it, the enemy of progress is not no, it's not yet. If we keep waiting for the right resources or the right people, or when we get you know more of this, or when the software works perfectly, when the contract writing system works perfectly, when the RFP is perfect, then we'll release it. When our proposal strategy is perfect, then we'll start doing. It's just yep. never going to happen. Right. Do so just, something. Do something. That's why we spend a lot of time talking about this on the cast. Before we go any farther, let's give credit where credit is due. The power of do is not our creation. There have been many, many books, many, many speeches, many, many presentations about activity. Our favorite, I think, is Seth Godin, and he has a lot of content about just getting started. Just go for it. Back to the topic at hand. <laughs> Why does government care about doing stuff? So this comes from, and, and there, again, the reason we talk about this is that we, we, you and I did a presentation. It was called, uh, I think it was, it was the things we learned as contracting officers. We, we wish that we that people understood, and it was the idea of uh, slow down to speed up, and it's just slow down and get a fewer things done, and that's hard to do, right? Well, that, the reason that's hard to do is. The image I'll give you is the scene in Indiana Jones where he's running through the tunnel and there's a giant ball chasing him. I used to use that joke when a, when a customer or a program manager or the, a contractor would say, you know, how are things going over there? And I actually said a couple of times, oh, I feel like the Indiana Jones ball is, is following me. And it's because you feel like the government contracting process is the last step. The, the process to actually award the contract can be the last step in maybe years of progress. And we talked about this when Mike Fischetti was on. He said, you know, how long did it take to make the decision to fund the program and then to allocate the funding and then to decide who was going to work it and then decide who was going to do the acquisition planning and then decide what the contract type was. All that stuff takes years. And then when you touch industry is the last step, even though that step can take, you know, a year. But but you still feel like there's this Indiana Jones ball following By you. then the pressure is on. Get it done, get it done, get exactly. it done. Despite the fact that it's taken ages to get to this point. And Congress may have allocated the funds for this three years ago, and they're going, well, why isn't this done yet? So all of these things are pushing to – it needs to be done. But then you have that part of the FAR that says uh, – was it 1.602-1 that we talked about in one of our episodes? It says a contracting officer shall not sign a contract until all executive orders, laws, et cetera, et cetera, have been checked. So it's really hard to, to, to manage those. But there are some processes we're going to talk about today that you don't have to be all in. You can make progress without – just waiting until it's perfect to go. There's so many steps between start and finish that you can just do to move the overall process faster. Because our instinct is to wait until, well, when the Indiana Jones ball is just about to hit me, then I'll just hit release on the RFP and hope it works out. And again, raising my hand because I once, I at least once, <laughs> I've done that and going, wow, I don't know why I was hurrying. So this is from experience. That's why the government cares. It leads me right to why does industry care about this stuff? Industry may or may not understand all those things that you just described that stack up all of the little things that have to be done to make any progress when you're on the government side. So from the industry perspective, the government acquisition process, it seems like a whole lot of of clock watching. It just seems like sitting there (laughs) staring at the clock going, what is taking them so long to release the RFP, to award the contract, to, to do anything? There's, there's not a lot of understanding, I don't think, on the industry side of, of everything that can go on to delay things on the government side. Yeah, and, and it seems crazy that these two are so far apart because I've had moments where as a contracting officer, I felt like I was sprinting. And then now that helping companies, I get the impression from talking to 
I'm watching this process. And when you're on the outside looking in, unless you've been a contracting officer and you know what's happening, you're thinking, how is it taking forever? So there's just two extremes. You have on one side, you feel like you're sprinting. And the other side, they think you're doing nothing. And it's the truth is somewhere in between. So what everyone wants, they want everything now, but they also want it to be perfect. And the first thing we talk about today to get people to understand is given those two options, focus on now. Just get something done. Choose now every time. And there are so many tools from draft RFPs to market research to just asking questions. Put out an, an, an RFI that's just one question. Don't wait till you have you know, all 50 of them perfect. Just put out one question and say, what do you think about this? What's your contract type be? Get, put up a smoke puff. You know, get something done. And, and I, I used to fall in this trap a lot until I learned later that I could do five RFIs and weed people out along the way. Or, that sounds bad. Allow <laughs> to weed themselves out. Go, you know what? I, I, I don't have the time to deal with this. And, and that's fine because they got a target. Yeah, it's much, much appreciated on the industry side. Rather than waiting three months hearing nothing, then getting a 20-question RFI and realizing that you just w- waited three months on something that you're not going to bid on anyway. And, and the other part of this is that if you ask 20 questions and you get 20 answers, it's a lot more exhausting to answer, to digest the answers to those 20 questions. Where if you said, we're thinking about doing this as a CPFF contract, does that make sense? Get the answer to that one question and then move to your next decision tree. It, just those, those little steps can make a huge difference. So focus on getting it done now instead of making it perfect. And choose now every time is one of my favorite sayings. Yeah, we can choose. We as the contracting officer, we as the industry contracts professionals, we as the government acquisition team, we can choose to be doers. We can choose to try these things out to release RFI, you know, just questions one at a time and and learn as we go, learn step by step rather than waiting till the end. Yeah, and this is this is learning by doing. And we also we can choose not to complain. Going back to that. Or here's my favorite, or judge those who are doing something. The fact that the RFP came out with typos in it, if your response to that as a as an industry side is, oh my lord, what are they doing? And likewise, when their RFI doesn't have every single answer, the RFI response doesn't have every single answer that you want as a contracting officer, they're responding. If you if you give them a week to reply and they only answered half the questions. They gave you half the questions. It's maybe all they had time for. They may have had other stuff going on. It's, it's don't assume or judge them for not doing things perfectly as you wanted them. And again, that's, that's hard because human nature is, and again, I've said this, said this last week in a training session to a, a, one of our clients. I said, as a contracting officer, I assumed you were sitting around waiting for me to call you. It, it, now, is that totally logical? No, <laughs> but there were times I'm like, you have a $50 million contract that I signed for you. You what else can you possibly be doing? <laughs> it's not logical, but it's, it's just there's moments that you think that. So rather than think that, you know, don't judge people who are trying to do stuff. And then my favorite thing is you know, choose to ignore the cynic. There's, a, there's always going to be that, that one voice, whether it's in the back of your head or it's another person on the team or whatever. It's like, well, we've we got to wait to do it perfect or we, we, that's not going to work. Until you try it, you don't know. Yep, just shut the door. Keep that guy out. Yep. It's not, it's not for him. <laughs> it's, it, it's for progress. So we can – we can we can do things. We can try. We can learn as we go. We can communicate and and get better. And then the biggest thing is, is give grace to those who are doing that. 
you know, give, give people a break when they're learning. And that, that is on both sides. Now, of course, you get to the final stage, and that's why this is so important to talk about. There's so many steps between now and actually signing a contract. That, okay, when the sign a contract happens, that, that's the final document. Okay, we're not giving grace on that. But between here and there, there's so much that can be learned when you go in smaller steps. And trying to do everything at once is brutal. So here's why what we do, we as in a single person, what we do matters. It's, it's the scale involved in government contracts, the scale in these large organizations. The cynic says that large organizations like the government or any big company bureaucracy, it's too complex, too entrenched. We can't change that kind of thing. A doer understands that the bigger the organization – the more leverage that small things have to multiply to a larger impact. You know, it's like compound interest. <laughs> and a- activity matters here. Uh, you can say that the, the cynic will say, it can wait, we'll make it perfect. And the doer says, well, wait until it's good enough and let's just move. And here's another, this is actually a Steve Jobs quote you probably heard me say before. In fact, I know I've said it before, but it applies here. Real, art- nah. Real artists ship. Meaning that if you have the perfect RFP but you never actually get it out or you have the, the perfect strategy and you never do anything with it, you're not – you got to do something. You got to launch something. And <laughs> that can be dangerous when you start with the final RFP. That's why we constantly talk about so many things between here and there. RFIs aren't they, – they don't have a whole lot of consequence um, from a perspective of you don't have to answer questions or not legally binding, that kind of stuff. Same as a draft RFP, same as responses to all of these things. What you say in a draft RFP response to a question is nothing as, as dangerous as what you say in your proposal. Right. It's hard to be a perfectionist at, at that early stage of, of the acquisition process. Yeah. And, and another one, I just used this quote in the, in the, in the TEDx talk I gave, cause I love it so much. If you're not embarrassed by the first version, you waited too long to launch. And that's from uh, Reed Hoffman, the guy that created uh, LinkedIn. But it's the same <laughs> idea. It's like it's never going to be perfect. And I didn't learn this until probably geez, 10 years in maybe. Yeah, and a perfectionist uh, never wants to, to let anything out early. They want it to be perfect because yeah. they don't want to be embarrassed. And the, the big takeaway here is as a contracting officer, your instinct is you want it to be perfect. We're all – we have a, a – contracting officers have a pretty good chunk of left brain going on because you want the, the contract's got to be right because we're saying it. We get that. But what we're talking about is all the steps between here and there. That's where it's okay for the draft RFP to have issues, for it not to be perfect, for the contract. You may change the contract. That stuff can be changed. So don't wait too long to launch that. Yeah, and I got to say, this embarrassed by the first version thing, this does not apply to proposals. This doesn't apply to a competitive situation where you're submitting a proposal. That has to be perfect. But hopefully the first couple versions of that were long ago. And, and that's a great example of why if that's the first version, that's why this is risky. That's, that's why proposals end up being unacceptable or noncompliant. That's why RFPs have hundreds of questions instead of like, you know, six. Because if the first version you show to the world is the final one, <laughs> you, have no, you have no margin for error. And, and again, this is learned by experience. <laughs> I've, I learned that lesson by screwing it up a few times. <laughs> All right. Let's do some math. Tell us explain this scale thing. Math time. What can the government do? How can this how can this compounding thing work? How many times as a CO did you hear in a training class someone say, you have to limit the number of evaluation criteria in the RFP? Criteria, 
I think I said criteria is you have to on <laughs> criteria is singular. Oh, is it? Okay. You, ha- <laughs> you have to limit the number of evaluation criteria in the RFP. You hear that all the time, but what if you really did that? Let me walk you through the math here. Let's talk about the evaluation process for the source selection. If you have one extra criterion in there, let's just say that that one takes you two hours to evaluate it, to document that, discuss it between all the people on the team, and to write it up in the source selection decision document. So that's two hours. Imagine you got five offers, five bids in. So two hours times five bids is 10 hours. Let's say your little office does 40 source selections a year, 10 hours less Time spent in each of those 40 source selections equals 400 hours. That's like 10 weeks of effort across the year gone because you took the time to weed out the least important criteria. Imagine the impact of that little change across a whole year of government source selections across every agency in every office. That is a lot of power. And that's just one example. And so, so how do we do that? We kind of gave some examples as we were talking through here, but one of them is ask everyone, is this needed, this criteria, criterion, <laughs> is this evaluation factor, there we go, is it needed or is it nice to know? And the example would be whether or not they can actually provide a staffing plan. If they can show that they actually, I'm using it for service contracts, do you need a staffing plan along with their recruiting plan? Maybe you do, but think about that kind of stuff. And then on the production side, do you need to know whether or not they can produce 500 units per month or do you just need to know whether or not they can produce 6,000 a year because they get you to the same place? And (laughs) and I've I've, I've reviewed enough contracts as a contracting officer and seen enough RFPs on this side that this happens. So just ask those questions. Yeah, and same thing from the industry side. If there's a draft RFP that comes out, you can use that time to question the value of the criteria in section L, in section M, you you can you could question the value of submitting twenty pages of detail. You can question whether or not that's even a differentiator at all. And this is the other foot stopper here is this the difference between helping and judging. If yeah, don't just say the- that's the stupidest way to evaluate it I've ever heard of. <laughs> Give them an example of how that criteria how the how the evaluation factors could be rewritten without that criteria. Yeah, and, and keep in mind, on the industry side, this is also useful because one fewer evaluation criteria, think how much easier your, your win strategy is. It's like you just, you're simplifying your life. So this, Yeah, this I didn't even touch benefit. how much time it saves on the industry side right. for, for those five offers to actually write to that criteria. I, I was just on the government side there. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll leave that to your imagination. <laughs> so industry side, another example, more math here. One of the things that you talk about a lot, Kevin, is targeting. I've also heard it called shot selection. Picking your targets and only submitting proposals against the things that really you have the best chance to win. So doing a little math here. Let's say that you, as a government contractor, submit one proposal that you have a very low probability of winning. So just this is simple math, not realistic probably at all. (laughs) Let's just say that proposal, that it took three people eight hours a day for five days to do that. 
So basically three people took a week. That's, that's 100, 120 hours of people's time to write the proposal. Then there's two other people that are going to review what was written, and they spend four hours, so that's eight hours more. The pricing person this is a simple proposal. So somebody spends eight hours putting together the pricing and following the instructions and pasting all the tables together. It's another eight hours. Then you, somebody just has to edit it and finalize it and print it and all that. So the proposal production process. Two more people spend eight hours each doing that. So that's 16 hours. Then a contracts person has to go through all the compliance things in section K and checking boxes and making sure that everything is cross matrix and all that other stuff. So if you add all those up, I know I didn't do the math as I went, but 120 hours to write the proposal, eight hours to review it, eight hours to price it, 16 hours to do the editing and printing and production and finalizing eight hours from a contracts person to do the compliance stuff. I'm really rolling fast there, but that's 160 <laughs> hours total. That's an entire man month or, or woman month or person month of time <laughs> to submit one proposal. That could be a lot of money to a small business. Hey, well, it's the same. It's a lot of money to a large business too for a proposal that you have very low chance of winning. What if you, what if you didn't do that? What if you spent more time targeting and focusing the efforts and avoiding all that waste? And, and simple questions like is there a strategic value to this proposal or is it just something that you'd like to have? Um, and, and if it's not, then wh- if there's no value to it, there's no really strategic value to you, then why are you submitting on it? And do you know what your low probability win cutoff is? What, what is the rubric that you use? And this is a, such a foot stomper for me because I spend a lot of time helping companies figure out what that is. In fact, as a community members, the Skyway Connection community members, that's why we developed the RFP score. This is an automated tool to help you make these decisions because that simple explanation you just went through. 160 hours, even if it's 16 hours, it's a lot of time. Your time just gets drained away. And I call them time vampires if you're not focused. Sounds like a movie. There's lots of vampire (laughs) movies now. So that's on the government side. So what what can both sides do? You know, this is a huge point for me. That's why you're covering this. (laughs) Commit to the schedule and get commitment from the stakeholders on both sides from top to bottom, from the government side, when you're building a source selection schedule, be realistic. Plan for holidays. Plan for vacations. Plan for conflicts from other things that pop up. Be conservative with this if you can because it's going to take longer than you expect. It always does, especially if you're trying to do it right at the end of the fiscal year when people get pulled aside for end of fiscal year actions or if you're trying to do it at the end of the calendar year when all those holidays happen and senior people have use or lose leave so it's hard to get anything reviewed or approved. Also, ask industry for input on how long it'll take them to write a proposal for this. So many times people just go, oh, 30 days, 15 days, 45 days, 60 days. They throw out that's how long it should take to write. Ask industry how long they think it'll take them to write it, and they'll give you a real number. They don't want to take too long because too long costs them too much money, but they don't want too short because it's very hard to write a compliant proposal in too little time. So the same thing goes on the industry side. Imagine in sole source negotiations or working like an engineering change proposal on an existing contract. What if industry delivered their proposal on time or 
imagine this early every time. On the industry side, there's also a lot of approvals and reviews. There, sorry, there, I said is there can be. It totally depends on the company, the size of the company. But big companies are as every bit as bureaucratic as the government. So to get things approved can take time. If you have 30 days to respond with an engineering change proposal, it's really easy for that to trickle over and ask for an extension. Can I get another week? Can I get another two weeks? Same things happen on the industry side. Imagine if everyone met the schedules that they laid out because they made realistic schedules to start with. Let me do the math for this. Just imagine that there is one wasted day waiting on someone who didn't actually commit to meeting the schedule. That one day, if, there, if there's five people that are dependent on getting that next step done, and that happens in all 40 source selections that I mentioned, in you know the the, the little office example I used before, if it's you have office, if you, yeah, if you have forty source selections a year, and there's five people on each of them on the evaluation team, and just one day is wasted that leaves those five people idle, that's two hundred days a year. Five people times forty source selections, two hundred days. That's almost seven months of effort wasted. So th- these these little things scale up so quickly, and and a lot of it is frustration too. I mean, this this doesn't take into account the dragging effect of people want to get stuff done. I mean, we inherently like to move the rock, right? And when the rock doesn't move, it just the, that the the morale, the culture, whatever you want to call it. But having been on source selections, it take longer, and and waiting on people, and over promising all that, it stacks up. So. This, this one's a really great example of why it's so important to communicate and under-promise on schedule. It's, and it's not about the math. The, all of those are just made-up examples to try to give me something easy to explain in a podcast. <laughs> it's not about the math. The point is that these small things can add up to big delays that cost time and money. And when you scale that across the entire government contractor industry – all of the taxpayer money that's spent on salaries for government employees, it can add up to a lot of money and time wasted. And going back to the overall goal is we, we, we can't wait to get more resources, but we can make small changes like this that free up time so we can work on other things or, or for that matter, just get more done. And that's why this is such a big deal. And use that time to... Spend more time doing more, more RFIs, communicate better, learn better, listen to podcasts, uh, <laughs> think. I mean, honestly, just being able to think your way through some of these problems and then give some grace to people who are. Spent, I mean, there's a lot of complaining in the world. You just look on the internet. You see people love to complain. And rather than complaining, you know, let's, let's say, hey, this person's trying to do something. How can I help them? You don't have time to do that when you're too busy trying to put out fires at your own desk. <laughs> so if, you're, if you joined us today for this episode – Think about what you can do today to move that rock, to, to take that next step. Are you erring on the side of activity or are you waiting around? Or are you at least supporting those who are? Because if you're just a complainer, you're, you're part of the problem. <laughs> um, and then this is that thing, of, be the change you wish to see in the world. It's funny, 
those of you who, uh, who have listened to this podcast for a long time, the very first episode, we talked one of the reasons that we were doing this. This is a hard problem to change. It's really hard to get a giant industry, a whole lot of people who are already entrenched to see things differently. And one of the quotes that I used in that very first episode, we want to be the change we wish to see in the world. We want to help people understand this market and do more and do better and, and win more, all those things. So hopefully people listening to us babbling to each other once a week spurs <laughs> them on to, hey, that, that actually was a good point. So you can you can hear all the the raw raw music going in the background. There you know. might be a good point in here somewhere. I'm sure. <laughs> so here's our next crazy idea. So what if an industry day were done by a podcast? Think about that. Think about travel money saved, conference rooms saved. What if you sent the charts out and you let the experts that were going to speak at the industry day speak via podcast to everyone that wanted to listen? As many people as wanted could listen and get the benefit from it rather than the three people that you let into the room in the industry day. They could listen to it as many times as they want and ask real questions because they had time to absorb everything that was being said. And, and the other side of that is that we've gone – we've all been at industry days where there are like 300 people and probably 150 of those people have – Really, no reason. Oh, this, this sounds bad. They really shouldn't be there. I'll just be blunt with you. They're, they're, it's, it's not a good target for them, but it sounded like a good one, whatever. Yeah, it's not because so they're bad people. It's just because yeah. they don't know what it's all about because not enough information was shared ahead of time. And, and here's the one of my favorite things about this medium is you can hear the excitement in our voice. You can hear the, the passion for getting certain parts of this, what we care about. You can hear it in our voices, right? So imagine... Your two two benefits to doing this via podcast. Why I think this is a cool idea. Imagine that you could have the engineer, the program manager, the customer, all the people who are at industry day who aren't used to speaking publicly, by the way, <laughs> having them be able to you can hear the passion and they're all standing around a microphone. You can hear the excitement when they say, I want the product to do this. This is the goal. It's being able to say all that. And by the way, this is all not not attributional. It's not contractual. It's just an industry day. And here's the the, the bonus part for the those of you who are lawyers who are listening. <laughs> you can edit the whole thing before you send it out. <laughs> so what's the risk oh i wish you wouldn't have said that instead of that being in an auditorium in front of everyone you exactly. just go Bloop, and it's gone yeah if you say well we actually are thinking we're gonna do this like oh you know we want to tell them that or oh, <laughs> that, that's gonna be classified in two years you know, there's all kinds of random stuff so it i don't see any downside so anyway you, and you, then you can help people self-eliminate because they listen to the podcast and go eh, that's not for me and then you invite the ones that who it, it is for you invite them in to do one-on-ones in person or, exactly. or maybe with Skype instead of in person. Who knows? Well, let's, let's not push the envelope too far. <laughs> yeah. Let's not plug Skype. I was mad at him for how bad the last recording we did sounded. <laughs> but yeah, that, so that, that's when somebody says, what would you do? Because it's very easy for us to stand in our, in our little recording studio and say, yeah, things should be better. But we've got ideas and that's – here's one of them. So you know what? If, if you need help <laughs> figuring out how podcasts work, just – Send us an email. We can show you the websites we use, and there's just there's great content out there. So anyway. <laughs> Let's wrap it up then. Thanks for joining us today. If you like what you hear in the CO podcast, please tell a friend. Yeah, the, the be- We're giving away this information for free, and the best way to, for people to find it is for you to tell them that it's awesome and they should hear it. <laughs> it's awesome. Our topics are driven by people who are listening to the podcast. Our topics on the podcast are driven by people who listen. 
We get emails all the time from people asking about specific topics. If you have something you'd like to hear discussed, send me an email at paul at contractingofficerpodcast.com. And remember, if you need help with the government market, you can join the Skyway Connection community. Just go to skywayacquisition.com, and the community site is skywayacquisition.com slash connect. And use the promo code podcast, and you can try it for free for a couple weeks. If you need help, we're here to help you. (laughs) All right, Kevin, I'll talk to you later. See you, Paul. All right, that's it for this week's episode. As always, if you have questions, comments, or complaints, send me an email at paul at contractingofficerpodcast.com. Thanks for joining us.